three verses of First Peter under chapter 2 where we read, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Peter had made reference to the new birth. Now he continues by teaching and exhorting the believers how to grow in their Christian lives. In verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter commences by saying, Therefore, laying aside, this resumes the line of argument which was interrupted by verses 23 to 25 of chapter 1. And the word therefore refers back to the command there in chapter 1 where we read in verse 22 and 23. Now that you have purified your souls by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for the brethren, love one another deeply from the heart. And we need to ask the question, how can we love one another deeply from the heart? Well, in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter explains in detail what is involved in loving one another deeply or Loving one another with a pure heart. And tonight I want us to notice, first of all, that which we must lay aside. There in verse 1 of chapter 2, Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. The idea of getting rid of or laying aside is the idea of putting off an old and worn garment. Remember this morning I mentioned to you about my mother being a tailress. And I used to love when I got that new jacket or that new suit. The old jacket would come off and the new jacket would come on. And rarely would the old jacket be put on again. I like my new jacket. My father used to say to me, now don't wear the jackets all the same length. In other words, don't keep wearing the new jacket every day. Put on the old one and save the good one for a good day. But it's this idea of laying aside or getting rid of. Sometimes we have to declutter our studies and get rid of 
papers that we don't need any longer. It's the same idea. I notice the list of sins here that Peter is exhorting us to get rid of if we're going to love one another fervently with a pure heart. It is therefore rid yourself of all malice. What is that malice? Well, it is the ill intent and also actions that are harmful to others. You see, a malicious person desires and determines to harm others. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, made the following comment. It says, Malice, which may be taken more generally for all sorts of wickedness. Then he goes on to say, But in a more confined sense, Malice is anger resting in the bosom of fools. Settled, overgrown anger retained until it inflames a man to design mischief that befalls another. Now remember Peter is writing to the Lord's people. He's writing to the elect of God. We have it there in the opening verses of the opening chapter. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontia, Glacia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification, uh, sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Peter is addressing the redeemed of the Lord. He's addressing those chosen in Christ. And he's exhorting them that if we're going to love one another with a pure heart fervently, then we must be rid of all malice. Then he mentions the word deceit. That is deceitfulness that harms others through trickery or falsehood. You see, deceit is the opposite to purity. And believers are called to purity. You look there in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's speaking of separation, it's speaking of purity. You see there in verse 22 of chapter 1, Peter says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. A sincere love, a pure love. Somebody who is deceitful will not have a pure love. 
You see, we're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. In other words, we are to be open and honest in all our dealings with others. Matthew Henry again reminds us of that word deceitfulness. It comprehends flattery, falsehood and delusion which is a crafty imposing upon others ignorance or weakness to his damage. In other words, you're seeking to take an advantage of another to promote your own end. We're called to be honest and open in our dealings with one another. Therefore you love one another with a sincere love. Then we'll be honest and open with each other. Then Peter mentions the word hypocrisy. That is the masking of inward evil by an outward show of righteousness. You see, the hypocrite either lies to protect or to promote himself. And Peter is exhorting us that if we are to know this pure love, this sincere love, then we must get rid of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy. Leads us to ask the question, how real are we? You see, a deceitful person isn't real. At least the love is not real. A hypocrite is somebody who is not real. A person who is malicious is not real. Their love is not pure. Though that hypocrite, they can, they can mask over things. That begs a question. How real are we? I take an interest, not a big interest, but a little interest in second-hand furniture. I like the likes of a park and old chair or Cintiq or Aircore. And I like sometimes to look around furniture Shops, either second-hand or new. Recently, I brought home from my father's house. My father went to be with the Lord just before Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, and uh, we were breaking up the home. And I brought home a sideboard and a, a dining room table and chairs, and the, the both are very, very nice. 
the walnut. Uh, the date in the sideboard of the firm was established in 1855, a firm in Glasgow. And a gentleman within our church is very good at polishing furniture. There was one or two marks on it because we moved it from one location to another by a trailer on a very snowy, wet, windy night. The tarpaulin burst on it and it got wet. And I asked this man to come along and give me some advice or some help in polishing the furniture. And I asked him what he, he thought of it, what he thought of the, 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 the sideboard. He says, Paul's a very beautiful sideboard, but it's a walnut veneer. It's not real. And you see, the hypocrites can show, have a, an outward show of righteousness, but they're not real. And if we're going to know that pure, sincere love, that sincere love from the heart, for one another, then we need to rid ourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy. And notice the word all. Then, Peter goes on and mentions the word envious. That is the opposite of thankfulness for the good which comes to another. It speaks of resentment towards the blessing of others. We know that the scripture exhorts us to weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice. And beloved, it is more a sign of spirituality when we can rejoice with those that rejoice than weep with those that weep. It is right to weep with those that weep. I've known in my own pastoral visit, visiting what it is to sit with the tears running down my cheeks as I've sat with the bereaved. But then I need to challenge my heart and say, well, I can I rejoice with those that rejoice? When others is asked to take up a position or a post in the church, can you rejoice with them? When somebody else gets that new car or that new home that you would have liked to have had, can you rejoice with them? When somebody else is given that promotion that you'd hoped to have got at work, can you rejoice with them? Then Peter mentions the word slander. That is any speech which harms or is intended to harm another person's status or reputation. 
I believe it falls on from envy. Doesn't matter where the person starts, uh, where a person starts a conversation, and they speak well of Mr. A. Oh, you're going to find some fault or some deficiency in his character and bring that up. That's evil speaking. You see, all these sins that Peter lists aim at harming other people, whereas love seeks the good of others. And if we're going to grow in our Christian life, if we're going to know what it is to love one another sincerely from a pure heart and love them deeply, then we need to be rid of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. That which we must be rid of. But notice verse 2. Verse 2, Peter is speaking of that which we must foster. It says like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so, by, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now they expression newborn babes is not one of being derogatory but rather it sets forth the tenderness of the relationship to God and implies the idea of guileness. You see Peter in verse 1 has shown that the putting away of unloving practices is necessary for spiritual growth. But that must be replaced with a longing for the Word of God. And notice the words here. It says, like newborn babes. In other words, just as newborn babes and those of, those of us who have children, remember back to those days when there were babes sitting in the high chair. And their desire for food, and go before that for the common milk, was frequent and fervent. You remember them sitting up in the high chair and you were uh, seeking to bring the food through from the kitchen to the dining room and they were screaming for their food and you were saying, wait, wait, it's coming. And this is the idea that Peter has here when he's speaking about uh, uh, like newborn babes. You see, the Greek verb suggests an intense personal desire for the Word of God. Peter is saying, just as newborn babes or like newborn babes crave for pure spiritual work, uh, milk, so that it may, so that you may grow up. In your salvation. In other words, crave the word of God. Or crave for the word of God. Just like newborn babes. One commentator has said this. 
The Christian may measure his love of God by his love for the Word of God. It is his personal experience of the love of God that draws him to the Word. And what he seeks is an ever-increasing, ever-deepening experience of the Lord. Now let me ask you a question as I would ask my own heart this question. How hungry are we for the Word of God? I asked a moment or two ago the question, how real are we? But I'm asking the question now, how hungry are we for the Word of God? What is the strength of our desire for the Word of God? Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 10. It says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me let me stray from your commands. In other words, the psalmist is speaking there of the strength of the desire for the Word of God. Now I'm not asking you, do you read the Word of God? I trust as the Lord's people, you daily read the Word of God. But I'm asking you as I'm asking my own heart, what is the strength of my desire for the Word of God? How hungry am I for the Word of God? You see, we can pick up the Word of God. And like I did this morning, I read the whole of Paul's epistle to the Philippines. Now that's not an idle boast. But as I read it, I needed to ask myself, am I hungry for this word? Have I an intense personal longing for the word of God? That is what Peter is exhorting us to foster. Let me just say by the, 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 the sign. Never underestimate the value and the power of the reading of the Word of God. I would encourage you to take up the Word of God and certainly in the epistles to read right through in one sitting. To read slowly. Then to read it again. To read it again. To read it again. Sharing with Howard this morning of the late Dr. Gray, who was a Bible, Bible teacher and he was looking for the best way to read his Bible. He says, I got the answer through a friend who was walking in the country one Sunday afternoon. He sat down underneath a tree. He was going to visit the family, but he took time to sit down underneath a tree and take from, uh, took from his pocket his, either his Bible or his New Testament and read Paul's epistle to the Ephesians between 12 and 15 times. It says at the end of it, not only was I in possession of the epistle, 
but the epistle was in possession of me. And let me tenderly and respectfully say that I don't know what trial you may be going through at this time, what uncertainty you may be facing, what is the circumstances of your work or the situation of your work, you may be working in a place where there is dirty jokes told, where the language is foul and you come home and you feel unclean, you feel tired. Let me exhort you to take up the word of God and to read it. That it would cleanse your mind. I'm studying this at the moment. I'm seeking to, to study a little series on the reading of the word of God. I want to, 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 to bring it to our people on Tuesday night, some, some Tuesday night in the autumn time, God willing. You cannot underestimate the value of the pure reading of the Word of God. Devotional helps are good. When we're reading a Bible that has got a cross-reference and the verse is speaking to you, don't stop reading and going looking and studying at that cross-reference and then thinking, well, what does Matthew Henry or some other commentary say about that? Continue reading. There is a distinct difference between reading and studying the Word of God. And while some of us are maybe not scholars, we can all certainly read the Word of God. But let me get back to the main thrust of the point, and it's this. Let us ask ourselves, what is the strength of a desire for the Word of God? How hungry are we for the Word of God? Do we know anything of that intense, personal longing for the Word of God? You see, we need to come to the Word of God with an undivided heart. And an eager appetite after the Word of God is to be labored for. At times we don't feel like reading the Word of God. We don't feel like praying. There are times that maybe we've been brought very low. But you know, sometimes it's in those times. Very often it's in those times. Did you find yourself slowly, quietly reading the Word of God? You find that God begins to revive your spirit, to speak to your heart, to bring that comfort and consolation that you long for. 
But what will hinder our hunger for God's word? Surely it is the sins of verse 1. If we know malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy, then there will be a lack of desire for the word of God. That craving that, Paul, that Peter is speaking of there in verse 2 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, that like newborn babes crave for the spiritual milk, that craving, it should be natural to the believer. It should be earnest. It should be constant. Because as Peter reminds us in chapter 1 and verse 23, it is a life-generating word. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. It's through the reading and the preaching of the word of God that souls are saved. It's a life-giving word. It's a word that will nourish and sustain our Christian lives and enable us to grow in grace. And you know and I know that when we meet with those who spend much time in the Word of God, there's a beauty about their lives. There's something very attractive about their spiritual lives. There's something about their lives that says to us, I want to be more like my Savior. And then thirdly, we notice from verse 3, that which we are to display. It says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, Peter is assuming that the words of Scripture are the words of the Lord. So to read or to listen to Scripture is to hear the Lord speak, to take his good and nourishing words to one's heart and to taste again and again that the Lord is good. Now that word good carries with it two or three meanings. It's a word that means good, but it also means gracious and it carries with it the meaning, the word sweet. In other words, you can read it like this. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is sweet. Wasn't that what the psalmist said in Psalm 34 and verse 8? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That the Lord is gracious. That the Lord is sweet. He that tastes the goodness, the graciousness, the sweetness of God must show it in loving kindness.
conduct to his neighbor. Again, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we affected by the reading of God's Word? As we spend time daily reading the Word of God, are we affected by it? Are we affected by the ministry of God's Word? Do we come on a Lord's Day morning and evening and midweek with that craving to hear God's Word being ministered? I believe there's also a challenge to those of us who preach the word of God. Are we affected by what we preach? You see, I've got to look at my life and say, is my life one with a craving for the word of God? Is there malice and deceit and hypocrisy seeping in? Is there something of the sweetness of Christ? The graciousness of Christ? The goodness of the Lord manifested in my conduct? Commenting on 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, the Puritan Richard Sibbs said this, How can Christ be sweet to that soul unto which revenge is sweet? Then he went on to say this. He says, We are first sweet in ourselves, then sweet to us. We all know what we mean when we mean when we speak about having met those and their spirit is sweet. You want to be about that person, don't you? You want to be in their company. You speak about them. They have an influence for good upon your life. Can we ask the question? We've asked the question tonight, how real are we? We've asked the question, how hungry are we? Can I ask you questions? I ask my own heart. How sweet are we? She will never know that love out of a pure heart if there is even the residue of the sins of verse 1 in our hearts. And if we're finding the word of the Lord and the Lord himself to be sweet, then it will show 
in our lives. Oh, it doesn't mean to say that we run around with a smile on our faces, showing our back teeth all the time. But will be sweet in our actions and in our reactions. And will be an unconscious blessing. I'm one of the books I'm currently reading is the book entitled Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer. I'm struggling to find his first name. Um, and in that book Bonhoeffer is speaking from Matthew 5 and verses 1 to 4 and he's speaking about not letting a right a left hand know what a right hand is doing now I was interested in the comment that he was making on that he says you know even in, in loving our enemies we should be unconscious about it. In fact, he said, if we're lo loving our enemies unconsciously, then they won't be our enemies. And beloved, I believe the only way that we'll come there is to steep ourselves in the Word of God to read and reread and reread the pages of Scripture. And to seek to foster a hunger for the Word of God, to labor to have that hunger. I can tell you that over the many years that I've walked with the Lord now that those who have had the greatest influence upon me, and there are many have always been those who have steeped themselves in the word of God both young and old wonder tonight as we go to our homes will we confess before the Lord our lack of hunger for his word maybe we need to confess that there is malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander taking the place of that hunger. To ask the Lord to help us to foster our desire for the Word of God. To ask the Lord to help us to labor for that hunger. Beloved, one of the ways that we can do that after praying that prayer is to take up the word of God. And may I suggest that you start in the Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And read those six chapters. It will take you approximately 20 minutes, not speed reading. 
read it again and again. I venture to say that after a fortnight and certainly after a month, you'll notice a difference. The church will notice a difference. And may the Lord help each of us. And I say it to my own heart as I say it to you tonight. God might bring us to that place where we know that intense personal longing for his word. And that we taste again and again and again the sweetness of the word of God and the sweetness of the Lord himself. Those out there who don't come in here will see something of the loveliness of Christ and make their way in here because there's something different about us. May the Lord help us for his glory's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we bow in your presence and thank you again for your help given this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for yourself. We pray, Lord, that you indeed would continue to minister to our hearts, Lord, that we fail you. Where, Lord, we feel that we have to hang our heads in shame. Where we feel, Lord, a lack of desire for your word and for yourself. We pray, O oh God, that in mercy you will come to us. And meet with us, we pray. For we ask it in our Saviour's name. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the name of the author of the book I was thinking of. If you ever get your hands on that book, treasure it. Doesn't matter what price it is, you buy it. It's perhaps one of the best books I've read that would inspire and encourage. I just say that by the side. 604 is our closing hymn. Before we come around the Lord's table, 604, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies cry. 604 will rise to sing. Please.